Our scripture this morning comes from the fifth chapter of the gospel according to Mark, um, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell down at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that shows that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? But he looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came Excuse me, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Telethakum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. So, how many of y'all have been ever stuck on like an endless like phone tree with an automated voice service? Right, I call up AT and T, and I I need I need to change something simple on my account. So I uh, so I get the automated voice saying, "How may I help you?" And then I say, "I need to change something on my account." And then the automated voice says, uh, "Have you checked our website?" And then I tell the automated voice, "Yes, I'm a millennial. I have already checked your website. If it could have been done on your website, it never would have picked up my phone and call attempted to call an actual human. If you can't help me, please put me in touch with an actual human being who can help." 
The automated voice, understanding absolutely none of what I just said, said, hello, I did not get that. How may I help you? And then I say, I need to change something in my account. And then it says, have you checked our website? And then I say, yes, I have definitely checked your website. This is the second time we've been over this robot lady. At some point, I need you to speak to a, speak to a human. And then she says, I haven't got that. How may I help you? Please enter your account information. I have no idea where my account information is, robot lady. That's on a printed bill. I haven't got a printed bill in 15 years. I have no idea what my account number is. I called you from the correct phone number. I didn't get that. How may I help you? On and on and on until I throw my phone against the wall and it breaks. And then I have to go to the AT&T store, A, to buy a new phone, and B, to get the silly thing taken off my account in the first place. You see, corporate America has realized a really fundamental fact. Helping people and caring for them is expensive and time-consuming, and they have largely decided it is a waste of their time, and so instead they have chosen to waste yours. Think back, um, this, think back to an earlier era when you, say, wanted to go to a bank. You needed money from a bank. You walked up to a bank, and there was this thing, I am told, called a bank teller. And that bank teller would give you money from your account. Now, it's a machine, and honestly, I only know the machine. I have a real problem because I have Wells Fargo, and the nearest Wells Fargo is 100 miles from here. And so we're really having some banking struggles and have for the past three years. Or then think of grocery store checkout. This is one Brandy knows well. Think of grocery store checkouts, right? There used to be like a nice person, like Sister Brandy, who would like scan your groceries and you know talk to you about Jesus uh, while she bags your groceries and takes them out of the car with you. Now, Walmart is systematically trying to replace Sister Brandy, uh, with these automated machines that cannot help you if the price tag is wrong, uh, that cannot, you know, will not let you buy anything that you are underaged for uh, without having like six people come and verify, yes, I'm over 21, I'm really tired of this. They can't help you because they don't want to. Another trick that they figured out to not help you but instead hurt you is literally make their product so bad you will pay to get back what you used to have. How many of y'all have flown in an airplane in the past 10 years? Okay. How many of y'all remember what airplanes were like 25, 30 years ago? They were nice. They were comfortable. You sat in comfortable plush seats uh, that were wider than your bottom, um, and you were not did not feel crammed in uh, like a sardine in one of those uh, pre-sealed salted cans. Uh, what the airline industry has done is literally deliberately made the product worse for you so that you will pay an incremental fee to get back a wider seat that fits a human bottom, that get back a little bit of legroom for anyone taller than five foot two, uh, to get back all the things you used to have. They have deliberately chosen to make your life worse because it's cheaper for them. And that brings us to my least favorite version of this, which is companies that deliberately waste your time so that you will leave them alone and not get what's rightfully yours. That's what phone trees are, right? Phone trees largely exist so that you will give up and keep paying AT&T whatever incremental fee you want to make go away. They'll get you so buried in menus that you'll give up and go away. This is why your insurance company requires a stack of paperwork this high to fix your broken leg. You should be able to just go to a doctor and go, leg, broken, yes? Doctor goes, yes, leg, broken, fix leg, 
Okay, no, 14 hours later, this much paperwork, 14 things in triplicate, a form you've never heard of in a language you don't speak, and you still don't have the money from your insurance company. The insurance company is structured that way so that you will give up, so that you will go away. The IRS works the same way, right? If the IRS, you know, if you have a mistake on your taxes and you need something fixed, the IRS literally has its current message says, we do not take phone calls, good luck. Okay, they don't say good luck, I added that part. It's, it's, we don't take phone calls anymore. Good luck. Human beings instinctive, instinctively know when we are just a number. When we're not cared for. Where when the system has been built, whether for us as a consumer or us as an employee, has been built to give us the runaround because caring for people is admittedly time-consuming. Has, and companies have largely decided time-consuming to the point of, not, of being pointless. There's no point in caring for you. It's too expensive. If there's no point in caring for you, they can make enough money without caring about you at all, without taking the time. You are an inefficient problem for them. They have created an efficiency by eliminating the act of basic human empathy. Luckily for us, Thankfully for us, God, who has the most going on, does not treat us like that. We are not a number to God. We are not an, an inefficiency to be made efficient. We are a beloved child. And so the being in the universe with the most going on, with the most to do, with the most to care about, also takes time to care for you individually, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of us, and all seven billion of God's people, you know, around the world. God shows up not just to one church service every Sunday, but every church service, every day of the week where there is church service. God takes the time to be intimately involved and caring in your life. And Christ set the example as Christ walked the earth that if we, as children of God, are loved intimately by God, then we are then to love others in that same way. That if we are God's beloved, saved children, then we are then in turn supposed to serve people as saved people, as a way for us to share God's love with them. Because that is the example being set here in Mark chapter 5. We know, everyone knows, atheists know that Jesus traveled around and healed people. And so it doesn't sound strange to our ears that Jesus tra was a traveling healer. We get it. Except Jesus had absolutely no time. The entire gospel of Mark, which he doesn't have a birth narrative, so begins with Jesus' baptism and ends with Jesus' resurrection. The entire Gospel of Mark represents three years. Less time than the average person finishes high school, because the average person isn't Navi, and she did a lot faster than the rest of us. But the average person finishes in three, four years. Jesus, in the less time it takes to get a high school diploma, saves everyone, saves the world, fundamentally changes history. And so in that time, he had to teach all of the words he was ever going to teach. He had to prepare his disciples for his departure. He had to, you know, do, set an example for the world. And then he still had to die and rise and ascend all in three years. Jesus had no time. And normally, famous people, important people, don't take time to do things for individual people. They're worried about much bigger things. 
than that, right? Do you think famous people individually answer all of their fan mail? Absolutely not. They pay some poor intern to do that. Do you think that famous and busy people normally raise their own children? Absolutely not. They pay people to do that. And you can imagine a world where Jesus simply says, like, look, I'm too busy to deal with all these individual people. I got to go give a sermon on the mount. I got to go write the Beatitudes. I got to go yell at the temple. I got to go do whatever. I bet we've all had moments in our lives to go, man, I'm too busy for this. And Jesus is way busier than we are because he had way less time to do way more. So it's really remarkable what he does when Jairus shows up asking for a not insignificant part of Jesus' time in verses 22 through 24. And then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came. And when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. The setup here is Jesus is on his way to do something else. Jesus had other plans that day. Those plans were probably fairly important. Again, he had 36 months to change everything, everything in existence. And so he was on his way to do something. And as often happens in the Christian life, he is stopped while he is busy and asked to do something. In this case, fairly major. Go leave his path, go somewhere else and heal this person. On top of all of that, Jairus is, uh, is a leader in the synagogue, which means he's kind of like, what if our church council was merged with the city council? He has a religious role, but it's also like a civic role. So he's like an important, rich, well-to-do person. And he, you know, is asking something of Jesus, kind of, you know, bossing Jesus around a little bit. But he approaches with humility and he approaches with faith. And he actually sacrifices a lot of his own pride to come before Jesus, and Jesus goes with him. Willingly, without even a man, I'm real busy, but okay, just goes. And doesn't even point out that Jairus has just confessed that Jesus' Jesus' power is greater than his. Jairus would have been a man of some power. And he just confessed, I am powerless compared to you, Jesus. Let me go with you. And off they go. Jesus, who's extremely busy, takes the time to go for this man he's never met. Often Jesus and the temple hierarchy, the Jesus, the Jewish leadership, you know, they're not always friends, right? Off Jesus goes anyways. But what happens next is even more remarkable than that. Because what happens next is the woman who has been uh, hemorrhaging uh, for 12 years enters the scene. And this woman's had it real rough in a lot of ways. A, she's been bleeding for 12 years, which sounds frankly awful and miserable and gross and all of the above, right? She's had it real rough just from a physical health perspective. On top of that, uh, because of the nature of her hemorrhaging, she would have been declared ritually unclean, therefore largely rejected by society, unable to go to the temple, unable to go to the synagogue, unable to participate widely. So A, bleeding, miserable. B, socially rejected, even more miserable. C, she spent every dime she has trying to get to stop bleeding, and it hasn't worked. It's only made worse. So she's broke. 
She's ritually impure, and she's still bleeding. She said it rough. Awful. She hears of Jesus, and she has faith. That if she just touches the hem of his robe, just like a little bit of cloth, because of Jesus' power, she'll be healed. And so she goes, and she does that, and she is healed. Praise God. And Jesus could have stopped there, right? Jesus has, the power of God through Jesus has healed this woman. She's healed. She's good. Jesus has got to go deal with Jairus' daughter. He's got to go care for this important person's daughter, right? He could have, you know, kept on rushing. He already had his to-do list today. He had to, like, fine-tune the Beatitudes, or I don't know what Jesus did on a daily basis. We only have the four Gospels, and they're by no means complete. But instead, he stops and wants to get to know this woman in verses 20 and 21. Yes? No. Excuse me. 30 and 31. Excuse me. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? The disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? And he goes on to like stop and get to know this woman and hear her story and tell her that her faith has made her well and, you know, pour his love into her, encourage her, give her, you know, praise for her faith. She was rejected. She was pushed to the edge of society. She was, you know, left aside, unhealthy, miserable, broke, ritually unclean. Now she's being brought in, loved and praised by Jesus. Jesus wanted to stop and make a relationship, build a relationship with this woman so that she would know that she's not just healed, but that she is truly loved. And again, He's supposed to be caring for, like, a very hoity-toity man, a very high-society guy's daughter. And he's going to get there. We're going to get to Jairus' daughter. Fear not. Jairus' daughter is going to be just fine. Doesn't look like it right now. Actually, it looks like she's dead at the moment. Uh, but she's going to be just fine. Jesus also cared for this woman who had been socially rejected, had been pushed to the outside, that there are no outsiders in God's love. There are no social rejects in the kingdom of God. All are worthy of God's love. All are welcomed in by Christ. The nature of God's love is to pull someone from the margin, from the outside, and bring them into the inside. Remember that bit about the tax collector a few weeks ago? Same deal. He was ritually unclean too. And there's Jesus sitting having dinner with him. And the Pharisee's like, why are you caring for that guy? And he's like, because that's my business. Imagine if a Pharisee was here now. This woman is unclean, unclean. Deal with it. And so we round around. He does finally get to Jairus' daughter. And I'll admit it's broken bad. Uh, Jesus is late. So Jesus is late a few times in the Bible. Uh, Lazarus also dies before Jesus gets there. Uh, Jesus is late. And they're all like, Jesus, you can go home now. She's dead. And he's like, no, no, no. She's not dead. And they're like, no, really, dude. Uh, she's dead. See all the wailing, all the crying. She is dead. They're laughing at him. Jesus has another response in verses 40 and 41. And they laughed at him. <laughs> then he put them all, he threw them out of the house. He put them all, go away, just go away. 
He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And guess what? That's exactly what she did. She got up. She lived. Now, important point. That girl is about 12. Um, I like this painting because in this painting and only this painting does the girl look up, look 12. You look up paintings of Jairus' daughter, uh, which I did in preparation for the sermon, they all look 30. They all look like somewhere between the ages of 26 and 35. And I'm like, that girl's 12. That looks like a 12-year-old person. This is a reasonable representation of what the scene might have looked like. Um, the cloth wouldn't have been that white. Besides, the, not, nothing would have been quite that white. But that's at least a 12-year-old individual. She gets up and she lives. Everyone had given up on her. Jesus had not. Everyone had said, this is impossible. She's dead. Jesus said, don't worry about it. She's just sleeping. I got this. And Jesus did indeed heal her. And why the 12-year-old, her being 12 matters is because she's in Jewish society at the time on the verge of adulthood, on the verge of being a wife and a mother. And this means that she was going to miss out on the fullness of her life. And now she does not miss out on that. Instead, she gets to live a full life and contribute um, to the joy and the fullness of God's world. Jesus did not see her as a lost cause. Because God's power is like that sometimes. So one of the things we need to remember is, friends, helping people will not always look the way we want it to. It will not always fit in neatly to what's on our calendar, what we have going on today, the kind of people we like to hang out with, the kinds of things we like to do, the kinds of things we thought we were going to do at the start of the day. The, the core of this scripture is Jesus gets interrupted twice. He's on the way to do something and gets stopped by Jairus. And then he's on the way to help Jairus and he gets stopped again by the woman. And for each of, the, each of these interruptions in a busy life, he stops and he cares deeply and he cares intimately. Jairus and Jesus are not natural friends. Jairus is a leader of the a leader in the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus is trying to say that a lot of the things they're doing are wrong. Yet Jesus stops and helps him. The woman with an issue of blood has was essentially a social reject. Should she have been? No, but she was, and Jesus cared for her as well. And so who we are supposed to care for and when we are supposed to care is not always going to look fit neatly into what we think we've got going on and the kinds of things God is going to ask us to do is not always going to fit in and to which we are, need to tell ourselves, well, deal with it. Caring for people is inconvenient sometimes. Caring for people is wildly inefficient, according to corporate America. Caring for people is core how God interacts with us and how God calls us to interact with the world. Because in God's eyes, everyone is worth the effort. Everyone is worth the effort. There are no lost causes in the kingdom of God. No one is too far gone. No one is outside the scope of God's love. No one is meant to be left behind. That woman had been bleeding for 12 years. 
It was incurable. Jesus cured her like that and showed love to her. Jairus' daughter was literally dead. Jesus brought her back to life. Now, sometimes we interact with people that we wish were lost causes and we could give up on. But you need to turn that window inside sometimes. And aren't you thankful that God did not give up on you? I am certainly thankful that God did not give up on me. And then we can turn that light back outside and go, oh, well, if God did not give up on me, then yes, indeed, we should not give up on people. This is fundamentally what it means to be the church of the second chance, by the way, um, is that we don't believe in lost causes. We believe everyone is welcome. We believe everyone has a second chance, a next chance in God. Does it make office life really strange sometimes? Yes. Does it mean some really weird people wander through our doors sometimes? Yes. Does this mean some of them then make a home here and just kind of stay forever? Yes. That's the point, friends. Welcome to Grace Church, the people of the second chance. There's a reason why I use the joke about being the island of misfit toys. That's what I think the whole church is supposed to be. I just think it's a thing we're really good at. It does mean some weird things happen in our office sometimes. It does mean we have some real weird days. Like, oh, that's not what I thought we were doing today. Okay. Woo. There are no lost causes in God's kingdom. And fundamentally, we as a church hold the value that saved people Serve people. That saved people. Served people. And so if you find yourself as a saved child of God, praise God. What a wonderful thing. Some glad morning, when this life is o'er, you'll fly away. You'll fly away, oh glory. You'll fly away in the morning. Helping people is not about getting into heaven. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're going there. You'll fly away in the morning. No. But salvation means a lot more than getting that ticket punched to ride that elevator to the sky. It also means that God has poured power and love into your life. That if you know that you are a child of God, you need to treat everyone else like they are a child of God. And that means helping them even when it's inconvenient. That means helping and loving even when it does not fit into the box you thought your life and your day fit into. And it means never giving up that God can change a person. If we, as God's servants in the world, can pour enough of God's love in the right directions. Save, saved people serve people because in part it's how we got saved in the first place. And it's because it's the fundamental principle that how God calls us to interact with the world. God loves you like that. We are to love everyone in that same way. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your salvation and presence in our life. We give you thanks for the love and power and strength that you have poured into us. Loving God, May we take that and use it to serve others, to love and serve as Jesus did, to take the time. Time feels so limited. Time feels so precious. And yet, God, we know that is why you call us to give it away, to love deeply, to love inconveniently, to love inefficiently. 
to serve others as saved people, as Christ did for us, as Christ did for the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.